Well, it's good to see each of you this morning, and I appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and bring you a few words from the Word of God, a few words from God. Appreciate your presence this morning. <clears throat> and to those of you who are visiting with us, we really appreciate your being with us today. And Brother Drew called this morning, of course he, I think, I think Archer, the baby, was the only one that escaped the virus this week. And Drew had it himself earlier in the week, but he got up this morning with diarrhea, so uh, he called and said he needed some help. So I don't know, you know, I really, I kind of have my questions about whether he'll be here tonight, but if he gets to feeling good enough, he might be here tonight. But otherwise... Uh, if we can't get somebody else to preach a lesson this evening, well, uh, you may have to listen to me again. But anyway, I invite your attention to, the, to Hebrews, Hebrews the second chapter. We're going to be studying this morning in this lesson. Now last Sunday, or a week ago Sunday night, two weeks ago tonight, I preached a sermon from the first chapter of Hebrews, which, of course, talks about the deity of Jesus, Jesus being God. He is one of the persons of the Godhood or the Godhead. In this chapter, it is clearly taught, chapter 1, that He is God. He's not the Father. He's the Son, but He has all the attributes in His Godship that the Father does. And there's different ways. He, one of the things is he, is he is above the angels, we're told in this first chapter. Greater than the angels. But He is also called God. In verse 8, Your throne, O God. This is the Father speaking to His Son, and He calls Him God. And this is quoted from Psalm 46. And in that Psalm 46, the Hebrew word for God here is the word Elohim, the same name that you have in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is called God, Elohim. In this passage, in this quotation from Psalm 46, in verse 10, You, Lord, from the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. He goes on to point out that uh, in this passage of Scripture that He is the creator of the universe. Jesus is. Again, here, the word Lord in the Hebrew is the word that we have transliterated into our English Bibles as Jehovah. You mean to say that Jesus is called Jehovah in that passage in Psalm 102? Yes. That's the point. And so he is called Elohim, he is called God in that way, and also from the standpoint of Yahweh or Jehovah, he is called God. He is greater than the angels. And based upon that, we pointed out the first part of chapter 2 
gives us the invitation or gives us the responsibility laid upon us because of the position of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sitting at God's right hand, having been crucified, paid His life, gave His life that we might have forgiveness of sins. We ought to give the more earnest heed, chapter 2 at verse 1 tells us, to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, those things spoken in the Old Testament through the prophets and the angels, if those things prove steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. And so he says we should give the more earnest heed. I've heard people make the statement and the argument that, well, you know, God was very severe with folks in the Old Testament days, but we live in the days of grace today and with the idea that grace is going to, grace is going to give a license to sin and God won't pay much attention to it. That's not the case. He is making the point in this passage that it will be even worse for us. In fact, Jesus made that point different times. It would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah would be for people who refuse His words when He spoke here on earth. And so it is very important that we give attention to the words that we have in this New Testament, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how important it is. And so he makes that point very clear. But the second chapter now that we're going to deal with today deals with Jesus Christ as a man. The humanity of Jesus Christ. He was not only completely God, he was also a complete, perfect man. And perfect in more than one sense. And we'll see that as we go. But in verse 5 beginning, he first talks about, he uses a quotation from Psalm 8. He says, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. He's still talking about Jesus being greater than angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, and this is the quotation now from Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he, that's the quotation, and then the writer of Hebrews says, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. Who's he talking about? Under him. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the Son of Man, which is another way of referring to humanity. You have made it a little lower than the angels. This section, 
quoted is talking about mankind in general. But how do we know that? Well, notice the next verse says, but we see Jesus. Now he's going to talk about Jesus. But this other passage, did God, did God put man when he created? What did he say? You have dominion over the earth. You have dominion over all those that walk upon the earth of, of the animals that was created. He gave him dominion. Genesis, the first chapter, makes that very clear. But he says here in the end of verse 8, but now we do not see all things put under him. Sin came into the picture, and the dominion that man had been given had been, had been somewhat limited after that compared to what it was before. But now, beginning at verse 9, he's going to talk about Jesus specifically. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Wait a minute. You know, people that like to point out what they think is contradictions in the Bible, they'd be sure to point this one out. Because in the first chapter, we are told that he was made greater than the angels. In verse 4 of chapter 1, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You're my son, this day I've begotten you. And uh, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, and so forth. Well, that one is a deity. As God, Jesus Christ, is equal with the Father of heaven. He is deity. He is God. He was one of the persons of the Godhead. From the standpoint of His deity, He is so much better than the angels, greater than the angels. But now, He's going to talk about His humanity, His being a man. And just as we were made lower than the angels, Jesus Christ took upon Himself flesh and was made lower than the angels. But we see Jesus, verse 9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Why did God send him to this earth? In the flesh. To become lower than the angels. In order that he might suffer death. Well, why did he want him to do that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this chapter deals with that. We, as we go through it here briefly, we will see he emphasizes that more than once. He sent him to this earth in the flesh. You remember in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus. Verse 14 of the same chapter says, And the Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, he's, 
God the Father sent Jesus Christ to this earth. Jesus did the will of His Father in coming to this earth that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. That includes me. That includes you. That includes every human being on the face of the earth. That He might, the grace of God, might, might, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Somebody says, well, I thought Jesus Christ was already sinless. He was. The word perfect here carries with it more than the idea of being sinless. Jesus Christ was not the perfect, complete one to take away our sins until what? Until after He had suffered that death on the cross and been resurrected from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. So He was perfected from the standpoint that He had to go through all of this in order to be the complete and this perfect idea here carries with it. It carries with it more the idea of perfect rather than being sinless. But Jesus also, of course, uh, was sinless as that is clearly taught in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, later on in this book. He uh, suffered all the things that we suffered yet without sin. He was tempted as we, were, as we are tempted. But He did not sin as we have sinned. So, to make the captain of thy salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies, who is that? That's Jesus. He's the one that's able through his sacrifice to set us apart, to serve us to God. When we surrender our will to him and come in obedience to him, he sets, sanctifies or sets us apart to the service of God. And those who are being sanctified are all of one. The sanctifier, one who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified are all of one. One what? Not one God. We're not gods. That passage, where all of one, is a statement that Jesus Christ is one with us. He became a man. He took upon Him flesh as we have. He became a man like us, only without sin. As He as I already pointed out in the fourth chapter. Tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is different places in the New Testament. Declared to be sinless, perfect, never committed any wrong or sin. And so, He is one with the Father of Heaven and the Holy Spirit. He is one with human be us, us human beings. You think that has something to do with His qualifying to be the mediator? What is a who is a mediator? Stands between two parties that are separated from each other and wants to get them reconciled to each other. And that's exactly Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, talks quite a bit about 
being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ because he understands the Father of Heaven and he is qualified now to understand us and to go to the cross and to be a mediator on our behalf also to bring us into proper relationship to the God of Heaven through the sacrifice that He has made. So, we are one with the, He was one with the Father. You remember in John 10 at verse 30, He said, I and my Father are one. And He didn't say that to mean that they were one person, one entity. But they were one God. The Father and I are one. And now he has made that same type of declaration here in Hebrews 2 that he is one with us in the flesh from his humanity standpoint. That doesn't bring him down from his throne in heaven, but it lets us know why he suffered this death. Then he continues in verse 12. Reading verse 11 again, For both he who sanctifies Jesus and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. See that? Saying he is our older brother. He is our elder brother. I was saying I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Still further showing his relationship to us and uh, through him, our relationship to the Father of heaven. Inasmuch then, verse 14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus now, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels. What did he, why did he come to this earth? Did he do it for angels? No. He did it for us human beings. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And so the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Through that act that Jesus went through, through becoming a man, and being willing to go to the cross and die on the cross, he provided us the way of escape from the clutches of Satan. Without him, you ever stop to think about the fact, without what Jesus did in coming to this earth and dying that death of crucifixion on the cross, 
being resurrected from the dead and ascending to the right hand of the throne of God. Where do you think all of us and all responsible beings in this world would wind up going after our life here is over? We'd go to H-E-L-L, the terrible place of torment. It's only through Him. We don't have a reason to boast. Those those commandments that we obey, they're not to earn or to pay for anything. Jesus Christ paid for our salvation. But what are those? What What is obedience to those commandments? The New Testament makes it clear. That's our faith. For we could not claim to have faith in Him if we did not believe Him when He tells us to do something. So keep that in mind. But in 1 John, the third chapter, I want to read you some passages. I've used this a great deal in the sermon I've preached through the years, many different places, the binding of Satan. Do you believe Jesus has already been bound? If he hasn't already been bound in some way, what are we doing here? What are we doing here claiming that that we are the redeemed of God, that we've been saved from our sins? It's through what Jesus Christ... Listen to the Apostle John as he talks about this. In verse 6 of 1 John 3, Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as He is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now listen to this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus has already destroyed the works of the devil. What what, what were those works? (laughs) They're those, those sins that I've committed. Those sins that you have committed. Those are the works that not those are not works of God. Those are works of the devil. How is it that we've been able to escape the consequences of those works that we have done? Through the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. Somebody says, Well, what is this about whoever abides in him does not sin? Well, this is in the present tense. And if you drew that out in its complete give a definition to it. It would read something like this. Whoever abides in him does not continue in his sin. It does not say that the Christian never sinned. It does not say we never sin before we become a Christian, obviously. But it does not say that we don't sin. In fact, John in this same book says to Christians in the first chapter, in verse 8, Or he, he uh, verse 6, beginning. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you. Well, I'm reading from, oh, that's the second chapter. Let me get in the first chapter where I'm supposed to be. Uh, if we walk in the light, verse 7 of First John 1, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the word is the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice that he uses over, John uses the word walk a lot. When we walk, is walking one step? No, walking is a progression of steps. That's the difference between the one who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, the fact is we do. We do not live a perfect life, sinless life, after we become Christians. But we sure have to keep on trying not to make those progressive steps. We may make a step now and then that we have to repent of and ask forgiveness. But we don't walk in that sin. We don't live in that sin. We don't live a life of sin. We make mistakes. We sin. We recognize that and we repent of it and ask God's forgiveness. And He graciously forgives us. So in addition to making that point, he's making clearly the point that without that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, and that involved his coming to this earth, becoming a man in the flesh. And I want to read to you, it's a simple, short passage. But in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, listen to this. At verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's a sermon within itself. You could talk quite a bit about each one of those expressions. But involved in it, talking about the same thing, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Why? So that we could be received up into glory. So that we can go to heaven when this life is over. So, this chapter clearly sets forth the humanity of Jesus. Jesus became a man that he might come to this earth and die for us so that we could live with him throughout eternity and with the Father of heaven. Now the last two verses in Hebrews, the second chapter, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in pertaining in in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, let me remind you of something I think that's very important with regard to what he just said here. We've already pointed out that Jesus Christ did what he did in order to qualify to come to this earth, qualify to die for us 
and to forgive us of our sins through his sacrifice. But this is not the idea that the Father of Heaven did not love us. He, Jesus had to, had to do this and beg the Father to receive us. No, this is simply God's perfect plan. For what? God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It was the Father's idea to begin with to do this. But there's no question about the fact that Jesus Christ can sympathize with us in the situation we're in because he lived in the flesh also. He did not surrender to Satan, not in any point, not in even one little point, if we might refer to it. He was without sin. The Bible clearly declares that. And he did that, suffered that terrible death. You know, one of the things, I saw the movie, and I don't remember the particulars of who, who made it and so forth now. I didn't think of that getting that in my mind ahead of time. But that was the most uncomfortable movie I ever watched, I believe. Because of the great length that the person who wrote that script for that movie, the great length he went to show how much Jesus suffered. You know, a lot of the pictures that have been drawn, you see a few drops dropping from the side of Jesus of blood. But the sacrifice, the suffering that Jesus went through, we, we really, until we suffered the same kind of thing, it would be hard for us to even start to imagine how bad it was. And that movie, that was the one thing that I thought the movie got over very vividly was what suffering he went through that we could be saved. Not only the Father loved us, but you think about Jesus loved us so much that he was willing. Why do you think he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Here's the humanity of Jesus crying out, letting us know that he wasn't really looking forward to the uh, suffering that he was going to have to go through in that crucifixion. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there's another passage in the book of Hebrews that has a lot of meaning in it with regard to this. That's in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, keep your eye on him, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him, what kind of joy was set before him? Not that he was going to have to do all that suffering, but through that suffering, he was going to give you and me the blessings that we enjoy today and the hope of heaven when this life is over. Do 
Do you love Jesus for that? Do you need to render obedience to his will? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Or to those of us who are already Christian, we've already done those initial things, do we need to repent and pray to God for forgiveness? If we can help you in either of these ways, won't you come right now as together we stand and sing? Standing for the right. Holding up his banner in the thickest light, for his orders, ready to obey. Who will follow Jesus, serving him today? Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side, Master. Here am I. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side, Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus in life's busy ways, working for the Master, giving Him the praise, earnest in His vineyard, honoring His laws, faithful to His counsel, watchful for His cause. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus in his work of love? Leading others to him, lifting prayers above. Courage, faithful servant, in his word we see. On our side forever will the Savior be. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side, Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply?